Hey pod classmates, welcome to another mini pod. Boy, what a week it has been. I worked my first full week of the new school year because the first week started on a Wednesday and then the following week was shortened because of the Labor Day weekend. First full week under my belt. Feels pretty good. I also had my first student visitors in my new AP resource room, which FYI, maybe I should hold another contest to figure out what I should call it because I'm not loving AP resource room. So far, the most popular suggestion has been to call it The West Wing, which as far as last name puns go, I mean, it's right up there, but I don't know. I'm just not sure that it makes the purpose of the room clear enough. I could also be overthinking it. I'm still on the hunt for new ideas, so if you have a suggestion, please let me know. Oh, I also attended my first high school football game ever. Yeah, kind of crazy. Lived this long, never attended a high school football game. Uh, We won. It was a lot of fun, and boy, did I have a cultural experience, to say the least. Oh, and I also got a nice little shout-out on Instagram that got me an additional 300 followers overnight. Pretty big week for me, all in all. If you're interested in retroactively watching my whole week unfold, feel free to follow me on social media. I can be found at at TeachMeMrWest on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, basically anywhere that takes up too much of your time. Come on, join the party. The more the merrier. Now, in even bigger news, although admittedly 300 followers is pretty huge news, my wife and I are expecting our second child uh, any day now. And yes, it's very exciting. And yes, we are both so happy. And yes, we are both aware that with two kids, we will never sleep again. Anyway, I'm telling you all this because the regular podcast schedule might get thrown off a little depending on when the new prince decides to make his grand entrance. I figured you'd understand. Oh, and one more thing before we get the show started. I want to congratulate the winner of my first ever review contest, Laura Velez. I I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. She can be found on social media at SweetLV. Enjoy the $50 Amazon gift card, Laura. I'd say try not to spend it all in one place, but that's literally what you're supposed to do on Amazon, so have a good time with it. Okay, so let's get the show started. But first, a fake commercial break. Today's episode is brought to you by Doorstoppers. Doorstoppers. You'll never know how important they are until yours goes missing. Doorstoppers. Hey, who took my doorstopper? Welcome to the show. My name is Jason West. You can find me on all major forms of social media with the username at TeachMeMrWest, or you can email me at podclasspod, that's podclasspod, at gmail.com. All right, let's get right into this week's show. Now, I normally start these mini-pods with a few listener questions, but this week I'm going to mix it up a bit because, well, there's one question in some form or another that I've been getting a lot lately. I'm going to use at Triceratops, great name. I'm going to use her most recent question as the example. The question is, what advice do you have 
for first-year teachers. Thank you, Triceratop, and everyone else who's asked me that question over the last few weeks. It's a really big question, and an important one as well. So big, and so important, in fact, that I'm going to dedicate this entire mini-pod to answering that very question. Now, if you're not an educator, you're probably thinking, well, this isn't for me. I think I'll just go back to listening to my audiobook version of Tom Hardy's autobiography, read by Tom Hardy himself. I'm halfway through, and I still haven't understood a single word he's spoken, but I assume the book was written in English? But do me a favor. Don't turn back to that coming-of-age tale of a London boy who mumbled his way into the hearts of Hollywood's elite just yet, because how we prepare teachers is one of the most important topics we have in education, and it's something we should all think and know more about. One of the first things that I would like to say to new teachers, or anyone who is remotely curious about what we do as educators, is that teaching is hard. And I don't mean it's hard like, woe is me, I have to push this boulder up a hill, although it is quite a Sisyphean struggle at times. What I mean is that it takes a lot of work to be a good teacher and to maintain those skills. I've been searching for a good analogy for teaching for a long time, and I think the game of poker might actually be the best one. See, like poker, teaching involves high levels of focus, concentration, awareness, knowledge, experience, and patience. It also requires planning, attention to details, reflection, on-the-fly adjustments, and patience. And yes, even a little luck. Oh, and have I mentioned patience enough times? You try teaching anything to middle school students on the same day One Direction announces they've broken up, and then tell me how patience wasn't absolutely necessary. But most crucially, like poker, where anyone can luck into a good hand here or there, but only truly skilled players can win tournaments, you can't luck into being a highly effective educator. You just can't. And that's the first thing new teachers need to understand. You might have a lot of ideas and a lot of natural ability, but you aren't going to be highly effective in your first year. You just won't. It's like being a sexually active teen. I mean, you might be a savant, but chances are you're just a regular person with a lot of passion and enthusiasm, but not a lot of skill. So how does one get to be highly effective? I'm going to run through a list of things to start with, but understand this is not a comprehensive list by any means. This is, in fact, meant to be a mini-pod, and a more comprehensive list would take longer to finish than the most recent season of Orange is the New Black. Seriously, enough with the pointless flashbacks. Just give us more time with Tasty. Now, if you're not an educator, I truly hope you're still listening, because no matter how you contribute to society, it's worth knowing what it takes to have more highly effective educators in this profession. Because without them, we'll just end up with a country completely run by Trump and DeVos types. You know, a theoretical hellscape. The first thing you'll have to do to become a highly effective educator is become incredibly self-reflective. When I say incredibly self-reflective, I'm not suggesting you turn into a protagonist from a Woody Allen movie. That kind of reflection would drive anyone to the nearest therapist's couch. When I say be self-reflective, I'm focusing more on the self aspect. When a lesson goes terribly, don't sit there and try to figure out what the kids did wrong. Try to figure out what you did or didn't do. It's never about what the kids have done, even if it's their fault. Now, I'm not saying that bad student behavior is excusable or should go without consequences. I'm saying that teachers have an incredible amount of power and control in their classes, and the root of every major problem can always be connected to something a teacher did or didn't do. Now, 
teachers make some 1,500 decisions in a single school day, which is a big number. It's almost the amount of movies and TV shows The Rock made just this past summer. So I guess what I'm saying is, do your best and try to reflect on what the right decision was after recognizing where you might have gone wrong. Next, you'll want to find a mentor teacher at your school site. Now, this is a really tricky thing because until this point, mentor teachers have been thrust upon you like some sort of arranged marriage. I still can't believe my university gave me away for only three goats. I was worth at least two additional camels. During your pre-student teaching and subsequent student teaching, you're forced to observe and mostly model your teaching practices after someone who is chosen for you. It's kind of like the way teenagers model their behavior after Android celebrities built by the major studio labels. That's right, Ariana Grande is an Android, and you're not going to convince me otherwise. Now, sometimes, you'll get really lucky and have an amazing mentor teacher. During my student teaching, I had a mentor teacher who, to this day, is the best educator I've ever seen. But sometimes, you're going to get someone who, mm, let's just say, has no real business caring for the future of our profession. Take my pre-student teaching mentor, for example. That guy was a master class in what not to do in the classroom. But what usually happens to teachers is that they invariably fall into the habits of emulating their master teachers during their first year in the classroom, for better or worse. And it's not their fault. They don't know anything different. And why wouldn't you emulate the practices of someone who is given the title of master teacher? But why follow a mentor you were given when you can actually choose your own mentor? And how can you ensure that the mentor you find is going to actually help you the way you need help? The problem is that if you're new to teaching, chances are you're also new to a school site. And some teachers can appear to be amazing in meetings or in passing conversation, but they just aren't best suited for mentorship. Trust me, if you haven't met a meeting all-star yet, you will. So how can you find your ideal teacher mentor? Ask the students. I know, it's shocking because you'd never reply with ask the students to 99.9% of any question posed to you, but it's true. Ask the students two simple questions. Who is the best teacher on campus and what makes them so great? Seriously, the kids know. And the bonus is that when kids tell you about how this one teacher is so warm and friendly and easy to connect with, you'll know that you found someone who's most likely willing to open their door to you as well. And that's the person you'll want to observe, or have observe you, or pick their brain about ideas you have for your classes. Trust me, ask the kids. So now that you've found your new teacher mentor, here's something else you can do within the four walls of your class to get to that upper echelon of teaching. Correctly prioritize your needs. Far too often, new teachers feel that the first thing they need to accomplish is having a beautiful classroom, when in actuality, that should be the last thing. It's like buying decorations for a wedding before deciding on a venue, a guest list, or who you're even marrying. What should you focus on first? Nope, not the content either. I know, it's shocking, but trust me, the content is already there. Unless you are in a totally unique situation, you don't need to reinvent the wheel and create your own content. It's either already at your school, or it's out there for you to discover. Taking on the task of creating content is something that comes later, after you've mastered the following three things, which, incidentally, are the first three things you're going to want to master. Classroom management, building relationships with students, and establishing routines or systems in your classroom. Again, 
This is where your new mentor teacher will really make a difference because they've already mastered all three. That's why the kids love them so much. I know, you're worried about the content, but how are the kids going to learn anything? You're yelling in your head. The content is there. They will learn. They will learn it because it's content that they've been prepared to learn for years, since infancy really. Shout out to PBS Children's Programming. But mostly, if you've truly focused on management, relationships, and routines, your students will learn because they'll want to learn, with and for you. Okay, one last thing regarding the classroom, because there's so much to discuss about your first year in the classroom, and there's just not enough time to share it all. Regarding management and routines, there is no magic pill, no single solution that will work immediately and indefinitely, nor is there a solution that works for all things. It's like eight-minute abs. That program doesn't make your biceps bigger, and it doesn't work at all if your diet is mostly pizza, Sprite, and Cinnabon. Believe me, I learned this hard truth in my early 20s. The same goes for routines and structures in your classroom. If you try a new strategy and it doesn't work, don't abandon it. The 8-minute abs weren't the problem, the pizza was to blame. I'm just kidding, pizza, I love you, you're perfect to me. Anyway, try the strategy a few more times. Then reflect on why it wasn't working and tweak it until it does. If, after many weeks of tinkering and improving, the strategy still doesn't get you the results you're hoping for, then you can consider replacing it with something that might be better. But the worst thing you can do is try something once, then abandon it because it wasn't perfect. It will never be perfect, especially if it isn't consistent. Okay, moving on. The next and potentially most important part about your first year as a teacher is your new life as a teacher away from school. Something I wish I had known, or maybe not known as much as truly understood during my first year as a teacher is that the work will always be there. Even if you finish it all, it will only get replaced by new work. Ungraded papers are like the T-1000 in Terminator 2. You can blow it up into a million frozen pieces, but it's only going to come back stronger and more hell-bent on destroying you. Have you seen this, teacher? So trust me on this one. Don't sacrifice all of your free time trying to capture some kind of teacher workload nirvana. It doesn't exist. New teachers often work the longest hours because they feel like they have something to prove, and this causes massive burnout. A study conducted by the New York Times showed that of 5 million new teachers, 14% left the profession during their first year, and 46% left within the first five years. Combine that with the statistic from the same report that of those 5 million teachers, 96% said they wanted to be a teacher because they thought it would be, quote, something they'd love to do, unquote. These teachers aren't quitting because they suddenly realize they didn't love teaching. They're leaving because they're burning themselves out. So, new teachers, work smarter, not harder. Don't assign so much homework. Don't make everything due on the same day or the same week. And if you don't get all those papers graded over the weekend, that's okay. Really, it's very okay. You'll get to it. We know you will. Again, the work will always be there, even after you finish. It's more important that you are at your best in the classroom. So take that time away from the class as a way to recharge, or if you really want, use that downtime to fan the flames of your teaching passion by reading great books or watching great videos on education. You know what? In fact, grab a pencil because I'm going to give you a few reading and viewing resources you might want to check out. Okay, so there are three books you definitely want to check out. 
the first, is called Teaching with Poverty in Mind, and that is by Eric Jensen. The second is called Leading Change in Your School, and that's by Douglas Reeves. And the third is called On Your Mark by Thomas Gusky. Now, a bunch of people are also going to recommend Teach Like a Pirate by Dave Burgess, and yeah, it's good, but you may primarily want to check it out because it currently holds the title belt for book most district officials and principals are buzzing about. It might benefit your career to give that one a quick flip. Okay, now three video clips to check out. These are easy because they're all TED Talks, so they are short, entertaining, and really informative, like yours truly. I can tell you personally that each of these three talks has significantly altered my teaching in their own unique way. The first is called The Child-Driven Education by Sugata Mitra. The second is called How to Fix a Broken Education System Without Any More Money by Seema Bansal. And the third is called Teach Teachers How to Create Magic by Christopher Emden. So now that you're all amped up and ready to learn more and become the greatest teacher of all time, let me tell you one last important thing, new teacher. Settle down. Being a teacher is not who you are. It's what you are. Don't let being a teacher take over your life like a virus. Hey, did you hear about Susan? Yeah, she's got teaching. The doctors say she might never recover. So sad. Cultivate your outside interests and keep them as separate from your teaching career as you can. I love tea. It is a passion of mine, and I have cultivated it for years, but it wasn't until my 12th year as a teacher that I started a tea club at school because I wanted to make sure that I didn't ruin my great love by making it feel like work. Now, that doesn't mean I didn't talk about tea incessantly or share my bizarre obsession and knowledge with students in any of my first 12 years. I did, even if the kids didn't ask me to. I guess what I'm saying is that my job is not my defining trait, because and this is just the reality, one day, I'm going to retire, and this will no longer be my job. If my entire life is built around being a teacher, what am I going to have left when that goes away? So maintain your friendships with people who aren't in teaching, and don't steer every conversation back to your students or the world of education. Be you. Do you. All of the other kids failed Willy Wonka's test because they became obsessed with winning his factory. Charlie one in the end because he said, mm, I'd like your billion dollar business very much, but I don't need to sacrifice who I am to have it. Which, when I put it like that, makes him seem like a damn fool. Charlie, just pretend to be interested in Wonka's insane ethics test until the ink dries on the contract. After that, you'll be rich, stinking rich, and you could do and be whoever you want to be. Do you have any idea how badly you almost blew this opportunity? Grandpa Joe has very expensive medical bills. Anyway, trust me on this one. I've been in education for over 13 years and have become more passionate about what I do every year because I never let it consume me. Of course, you're also going to need a few teacher friends. Those are going to be your people, your support system, the only ones who will truly understand the frustrations and victories you experience every day. So find someone at your school site, preferably someone who is new or new-ish, roughly around your level and share your frustrations and victories with them. These will be the people you go to happy hour with. These will be the people you get together with over the summer to plan the next school year. These will be the people with whom you will grow. Trust me, your significant others cannot be your only outlet because 
unless they are educators, they won't ever fully understand. And by the way, if they are educators, you may want to come to an agreement that your home should be safely protected from work talk. Then again, this is only my advice. It is what I was asked to give after all, so take it or leave it. But definitely take it. Okay, I've just given you a lot to process and think about. So my too long didn't read or too long didn't listen version is this. My main advice to new teachers is to protect yourself. Your first year is going to be the hardest year you'll have in this profession. Like me, trying to learn a complicated yoga pose, you will fall on your face so, so many times. Ira Glass, the host of This American Life, said it best when he said, and I'm paraphrasing here a bit, for the first couple of years, your stuff is just not that good. And we know our work doesn't have this special thing that we desperately want it to have, and that's the most disappointing part. We all go through this. You just gotta fight your way through. And that's what your first year is. A fight to get through. A fight to survive mistake after mistake, to learn and grow from each failure, and to be okay with failing. During your third year, you're going to look back at your first year and feel such guilt over not being as good for those kids as you are now. But that's all part of the process. You can't possibly match your own high expectations until you fought your way through days, weeks, months, even years of trying and succeeding as well as trying and failing. Oh, and chocolate. Chocolate always helps. That is our show. If you have any thoughts on today's episode or if there's something you want to add to all of my advice to new teachers, please feel free to hit me up on social media. I can be found at at Teach Me Mr. West on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also email me your thoughts and questions to podclasspod, that's podclasspod, at gmail.com. I hope you come back next week for my interview with Kevin Ott. Kevin, interestingly enough, is currently working towards becoming a Cicerone. And yes, I'm going to let you Google what that means. Just kidding. It means beer sommelier. How does that connect to education? Well, tune in and find out. I'm not going to give that one away. Anyway, it was a fantastic interview. I can say with 100% certainty that my favorite moment of this entire show happened during this episode. You're not going to want to miss it. That's all for this week. Until next time, podcast dismissed. <laughs>